0: Agenda-setting conversations of the day. Of course, big reaction here and around the world to South Africa's legal victory at the International Court of Justice on Friday afternoon, in which judges ordered Israel to stop the killing of civilians in Gaza. The judges also ruled that Israel must take immediate and effective measures to provide basic services and aid to Palestinians in Gaza and must punish the direct and public incitement to commit genocide. Israel had said before the ruling it would not comply with an order of the International Court of Justice. Christopher Givers is a lecturer in international law at the University of KwaZulu-Natal. Christopher, good morning. Thanks for your time. Christopher, are you with us? Yes, I'm here. Uh, there you are. All right. Um, firstly, this order obviously gives South Africa much of what it asked for. The court did yeah. not order a full ceasefire. Is there any difference between the full ceasefire, which we didn't get, and the order that says the Israeli military must not carry out acts linked to genocide?
1: Uh, well, I mean, that's a that's million-dollar question. I guess there's two ways to think about this. So one way is to say that it's just a question of a ceasefire and all that name, that the only way... To carry out this order is in order for, for there to be a substantial reduction in military operations. And I think that's true. Um, I do think that we have precedents where the court has ordered a ceasefire in the case of the Ukraine-Russia um, litigation, although that's a very different instance. For example, there Ukraine was defending itself um, against the attack. So I think in the circumstances, it's the best we could have got. I think South Africa won every legal point it possibly could have and Israel lost um, every legal point that it made. I think what's important about the the vagueness of the order, which I think is a few people irritated, is that it makes it much more difficult for the enforcement to be blocked by the United States. So it's one thing, if we had had the language of a ceasefire, when it came before the UN Security Council, it would have failed at the first hurdle. What we have is language that says stop committing genocide, and I think that's much more difficult to block um, at a legal level when it comes to the enforcement of the the order.
0: Uh, So in other words... The court has, perhaps deliberately, chosen language that makes it easier to get this through the UN Security Council.
1: I think that's the one, that's the positive reading of the court's intention. I think the court also has secured itself by avoiding the most difficult question, which is that, well, if I ordered a ceasefire, what would happen to Israel's right of self-defense? And that's difficult because the court both has debates internally about whether or not self-defense applies and would have some difficulty with saying to Israel, you can't act when it can't bind her must to do the same. So I think the positive is that the court has given an order that might actually work. Um, we might also say cynically the court has guarded itself or at least protected its own security from being attacked by um, the great powers for ordering essentially a unilateral ceasefire.
0: So on paper, this order should protect Palestinians?
1: Well, I think <laughs> one would hope so. On paper, this order has the best chance of protecting Palestinians using international law it has the best chance of getting to the Security Council when they meet on Wednesday to attempt to enforce the order. Whether or not it will, in fact, have that effect um, is a matter of politics and a matter of great power politics. In the sense, unless the United States and its allies want to support the order, we're not going to get very far, although there might be some middle powers that, that fall in line, And unfortunately, the reaction from those powers so far, the great powers the United States and its allies, doesn't seem to suggest it's going to enforce the order. But you have the best chance you might have had, and a ceasefire would have been dead in the water when it comes to the Security Council.
0: Both Israel and South Africa could nominate a judge to hear the case. Our former Deputy Chief Justice Sakungo Seneke was our choice. He voted in South Africa's favor on each measure. The Israeli judge was was Eharon Barak. He himself survived the Holocaust. He's a fairly elderly man. He's 87. He voted in favor of two of the measures, to bring in aid for Palestinians and to stop incitement to genocide. How do you read his actions
1: in this? So I think that, for me, was what was most interesting about this, was the, not unanimity, but the the large majority, including, as you say, even the Israeli judge. I think that, again, was the court trying to get as many judges behind the order to give it a sense of legitimacy, and I think for him it's a, it's a shrewd move, if one is to think of this as a as a political game, which we must accept there are politics at play in any courtroom. Um, it's quite should move to say well we think that there should be these two measures um so the humanitarian relief is something that's difficult to argue so if he had come out and and on every count said no 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 the way that the ugandan judge did it would have made his order less believable as an independent order the fact that he's come out in favor of two of the measures suggests at least to an outside audience that this is one to which he's applied his legal mind to
0: and the fact that the ugandan judge voted against us there's a lot of talk about that and she voted against every single measure
1: Absolutely. And I think I think the great, as, as a scholar, and I think as, as people who watch the court, the great disappointment of this is that we didn't get more explanation from judges as to why they voted the way they did. And I would have really liked an explanation from judges about why they didn't go for a ceasefire, and specifically addressing the question of self-defense, because that's an ongoing issue. What we did get is explanations from Barack and from Subutunda and others that were more or less what we expected, although Subutunda's is a bit... Uh, mm-hmm is a bit more political than perhaps we would expect the judge to be.
0: Christopher Givers, thank you very much indeed, an expert on international law at the University of KwaZulu-Natal.